So let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to drop into chapter 11, verse 27. We've looked at eight generations that came out of the flood in the line of Shem. And the eighth was a man named Terah, and he had a son named Abram, Nahor, and Haran. All right, let's pray. Father, help us to see your faithfulness. Father, help us to see that the father of faith was given a gracious gift, faith. And Father, may we understand that as Abraham struggled, even in trusting you, so will we. It isn't anything new. And yet, Lord, your faithfulness through all of it overcomes all. And we praise you and we thank you for drawing us today to your glory, to your praise. Amen. I started this uh, Saturday night service out a few months ago, or a month ago. And I, my first message was that there are uh, five things we need to always handle the framework that we will always be looking at through the 66 books of the Bible. They were the revealing of God, sin and disobedience, faith and obedience, Savior and sacrifice, and the coming kingdom and glory. Okay? Uh, anytime you use those in your biblical studies, you're going to be fine. You have absolutely no worries. And you always take those and you throw them in the framework of whatever you're looking at, and you'll be in good shape. You will not get all the answers. Because he didn't tell you that he was going to give you all the answers. He didn't tell me he was going to give me all the answers. He said, I will only give you enough for life and godliness. That's all. Okay? If you think that you can figure out where sin came from and this happened this and why did that happen, you know what? Knock yourself out. Better have tried. Okay? And you will frustrate yourself. All right? He says, I will give you what you need for life and godliness. What you need for life and godliness is who am I? Okay? What is sin and disobedience? What is faith and obedience? What is a savior and a sacrifice? And the coming kingdom and glory. And we need to always look at that. Uh, and, and, and it's really cool because we talk about God, a God of covenants. Okay, and he made a covenant with Noah and had a little rainbow thing. And da, da, da. You know what? I, I agree with that. Okay, don't, I, I, please, I don't want to downplay covenant or the cutting of covenant. We'll look at it here in the weeks to come where you cut it and you walk between the blood of the animals. Uh, see, that when you get married, um, that's what you're supposed, you enter into as a covenant. Um, and one of these days, I'm going to do a marriage where we can take an animal and cut it in half and have everybody walk through the blood. And I think it's really going to be cool. It'll probably be the last marriage I ever do because they'll arrest me and PETA assume me and all the rest of it. But uh, that is the, it is cutting of, of covenant is what it's called. And that's, that's basically what happens when a man and a woman uh, come together uh, in, in uh, yeah, Michael and Austina's up. So they just don't know. I'm planning this. Uh, I tried to pull it off. My son's getting married uh, in the first week of June or into May or April or July, somewhere in there. Um, and, and my wife just gives me that look. I've always been wanting to preach on the, the weeping of Rachel at Christmas. Okay, because right at the birth of Christ, there was a slaughter of innocents 
and Rama, and my wife has threatened me that it will be the last message you ever preach <laughs> if you preach that at Christmas. So I said, well, how about we do the cutting covenant when Jim gets married? And she says, that would be the last marriage ceremony you ever do either. Uh, so when I get toward that feeble age and I walk up on the, with the, the walker and all the rest of it, no, it's going to get ugly. <laughs> all right. God is a God of covenant. Okay, God makes his covenant not based on what your response is. Okay, I look at it from a perspective a little different than most. Okay, yes, he does make covenant. Don't, I don't want to ever deny that. But God has got a promise. And he don't have to cut covenant to promise. Please understand that. There are times I will put a rainbow in the sky to say I will never do that again. All right, that's a covenant. Uh, They call it the noetic covenant. Okay, but I saw a covenant back when he said, Woman, you will have pain in childbearing, but know this. By a seed, we'll bruise his head and he'll bruise his heel. All right? So God has got a promise all the way back to Genesis 3. All right? And, and when we get in, in, in a few years, we're going to get into 2 Corinthians, you'll see that actually the covenant of redemption was before the foundations of the earth. Okay? But I, I want you to think about Abraham because that's where we're starting out. Now, this is records of generation of Terah. Terah was a, became the father of Abram. Nahor, Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Stop right there. Okay, um, Abraham had a brother. His name was Haran, and he had a nephew named Lot. Pay attention to that name. You will run into it again. All right? Lot is proof of a lack of faith in Abraham. Got it? And you will see through... Chapter 11, 27 through chapter 25, 11, that God being a God of promise, a God of covenant, grows Abraham's faith through that time frame. Okay, please understand this. It is the revealing of God that he is showing here. We, yes, 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 yes. The primary person that you're going to look at is Abraham. But through Abraham's life, God will prove he is faithful. And and that faithfulness, I will show you a savior and a sacrifice. In that faithfulness, I will show you faith and obedience. But also in my faithfulness, I will show you sin and disobedience. Okay? So when you think about these things, we see the what is God showing us about himself? It's great to know some of the stuff about Abraham. Don't get me wrong. It's not. I like it. Okay. Uh, a lot of people will talk about, uh, you know, biblical characters that they um, I identify with. Oh, I can really identify. You know, I've heard people say I identify with Joseph. And I've heard uh, I really identify with, uh, what's his name, Peter uh, or some of these others. You know what? Um, I identify with Abraham. Okay, and here's why. No, I'm not the father of faith. But in spite of me, my God 
keeps growing my faith. All right? And when I look at Abraham, I look at God taking him through some nasty stuff. And we'll see a little bit of it tonight. Through some nasty stuff. And he says, you're going to grow in this. I mean, he, we're going to look at it. He goes to Egypt. There's a famine in the land. He said, I'm going to take you to Canaan and I'm going to give you this land. He gets to Canaan and what's going on there? There's a famine. So what's his response? It goes on to Egypt. He shouldn't have gone on to Egypt. All right, but he did, and when he gets to Egypt, he says, "You know, I got this looker for a woman. She's my sister." <laughs> okay, why? This is the guy who says, "God, where do you want me to go? Well, I want to take you to this place. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the blessings of many nations." So I wander into Egypt and says, "You know what? The Egyptians may kill me and take my woman." Wait a minute. Did God what? Okay, anyway. Let's jump into it. Look at his family. See his father? All right? And he has two brothers. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. All right? The uh, land of the Chaldeans would be on the north end of what you know, probably along the border between Syria and Iraq, what you would know today is that area. Um, that's where he was up uh, in, in the north land between. Uh, it's actually a, probably a, the widest place that you would see the uh, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Uh, that was where Abraham grew up. And Abram and his brothers took wives for themselves, verse 29. And the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. And uh, then it gives you Lot's mother's name. Uh, and it goes through there. And verse 30, little phrase there, really doesn't mean much until you get later on into it. And it says that Sarai was barren. She had no children. In case you were wondering what barren meant, she had no children. Okay? But his brother had a son, right? Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, verse 31, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to enter into the land of Canaan, and they settled as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, got it? Very simple, very easy. All right, that's the family. All right, I think it's kind of cool. Abraham's father raised his grandson. That's kind of a cool idea, right? I mean, you know, it's no big deal. Um, I, I think it's really good. I remember hearing a guy one time, uh, um, it's been years ago actually, um, he, he was an evangelist, he traveled a lot um, and has gone, and his daughter uh, was w- what I would classify as a mess, okay? Raised in the church and did all kinds of stuff, and one day he was gone, and when he came, uh, he got received a phone call that evening, and uh, his wife informed him that he was going to be a grandpa, uh, his daughter was 17, okay? And, of course, she did not have a husband. And um, he went through all the gyrations. Here I am, an evangelist. I'm supposed to be a man of God. And look at the mess that my family is in. And he was really struggling over it. 
And when he came back and uh, after much prayer and fasting, uh, he adopted his grandson. Okay, and the grandson became his. And he raised it like a, uh, um, a child um, of his own. Uh, his daughter eventually did kind of get her ducks in a row, but um, he raised uh, the child as would be her brother almost. Okay, uh, I haven't talked to him. Last time I talked to him, the grandson was about five. Uh, like I said, that was about probably seven or eight years ago since I've talked to him. So the grandson is cruising along, and I don't know what happened to him. Why? Um, because the love of Christ compelled him. Okay? Um, that is not what happened with Terah, um, Abraham's father. He did it because the father died. Okay, and and that was the family. Uh, I can see in that a loving family. I can see a family that cares. Now, listen, you're looking at a group that's eight years out of Shem. Okay, Shem was a boat rider. Okay, uh, you're, you're eight generations. I'm sorry, not eight years. Eight generations out of Shem. So they're aware of God's providence, God's providing things. Okay. Uh, so you see that he raised his grandson. Okay. Who was the firstborn? Firstborn of Terah. Who? Abram. It had been Abram. Why? Who's listed first? Abram. Okay, so when we look at a multiple things here in what I call the call of Abram, there's a part of me that looks at it and says, that ain't right. Because let's look at the call. It begins in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said, Yahweh said to Abram. Okay, you got that? Yahweh, you know what that is, right? God said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your who? His kindreds, his relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. This is why men never ask for directions. (laughs) See, it's a biblical precedence. God will show me. (laughs) I circle long enough. God will show me. See, women look at men like, why don't they ask for directions? Because God will show me. Okay, I don't have to ask for directions. Okay, I, I don't understand it. See, this goes way back. Anyway, to land which I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you. I will curse and in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Stop right there. (coughs) This is God speaking to Abram. Okay. Yahweh. Yahweh saying, Abram, go. And I'll tell you when you get there. Ain't that way men... Travel? I'll know when I'm there. God will tell me. Right? Okay? 
But there's a, a phrase there that we miss sometimes, and he says, go forth from your country, that would be the Chaldeans, the area of the Chaldeans, from your relatives, your kindred, okay, and from your father's house. Okay, what's Abram supposed to do? Leave the family. Leave the family. Look at verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Okay? Really? Is that really how it worked? And it says, And Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, they set out in the land of Canaan, and thus came to the land of Canaan. How great was Abram's faith? I would say non-existent. Non-existent. I will make you a great nation. Okay? All the lands. Your name will be great. You know what that implies, right? If you're going to make somebody a great nation, what are you implying? You're probably going to have to reproduce. Aren't you? I'm thinking maybe. I don't know. I'm going to be a great nation, both of us. <laughs> right? I'm going to be a great nation. We're going to be small, but we're going to be great. See what I mean? And what did he do? Now listen, I can look at this on two lines. His father had already shown him the love of the family. And his father had already raised his grandson. The sons, the oldest son, was the heir to the inheritance, correct? And therefore, who had the responsibility? Abram would have. And one of the responsibilities would have been Lot. So see, you can see two tracks that line on this, right? I see two tracks that line on this. One is, you ain't trusting God. Second is, but I'm supposed to. Now let me ask you a question. Was Lot an asset? His wife didn't think so. Lot's wife. She just went into the salt market. She did. You you think I'm kidding you. That ain't that bad. They used to pay Roman soldiers in salt. Look, I just got a bundle of Lot's wife. No. Uh, (laughs) Okay. But if you're truly honest with the life that they had, God had a call. And he says, Abram, I want you to go do this. And Abram was what my wife fondly refers to as partially obedient. Which means, you know, when she says that to my children... You know, you're partially obedient. I just smile and say, that means you get partially blessed. (laughs) You don't get all of it. You get some of it. And then you get the other side slaps you in the head. Okay, here's what he says. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of the Shechem and the oak of Morah. And now the the Canaanite um, was then in the land. Okay, the Canaanites are there. All right? The Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. Now pay attention to what he just said there. 
All right, he already gave, called him and said, I want you to go and I want you to do it this way. What was the qualifiers for God's blessing? None. That's covenant. That's covenant. All right. He says, so I, I go <clears throat> to your descendants. I will give this land. All right. So he built an altar there to the Lord, to Yahweh. And he appeared to him who had appeared to him. Do you see that? Did you just read that right there? Okay, did you see that right there? Uh, just a phrase. It's just a little bit. And it's thrown in there. No big deal. Do you see what just said there? I always thought of him saying, you know, Abraham standing out and doing whatever Abraham did. He evidently was very good at whatever he did because he said he had a lot of money and a lot of possessions. And was just kind of hanging around one day and all of a sudden voice out of heaven said, Abraham, go, and I'll tell you when you get there. Okay. All right. What does that phrase say? Hmm. Interesting concept, don't you think? Had a moving experience with a guy named Saul of Tarsus, didn't it? All right. So, you know, I, you know, I, I always wondered, did Abraham just run around and hear voices? And was cruising around and his wife was going, who in the world did I marry? Okay, no. Now we'll, we'll talk about it uh, when he's on the great plains before you get to Sodom and Gomorrah. And three beings show up. One stays with him. Two go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And is that a Christophany and uh, an apparition? Is that a pre-incarnate Christ showing up and all that? And we'll deal with that when we get to it. But that one right there always stunned me. Okay? We always talk about Moses. Remember Moses and he hanging out with the bush? Okay? It wasn't a burning bush. Did you know that? A burning bush means it was consumed. Okay? But it was a bush that looked like it was on fire, but it was not consumed. All right. When I set some a bush on fire, it is consumed. I've seen them. I've set bushes on fire before. All right. And yet he says, "Show me yourself." And he says, "Hide here in this rock, and I'll moon you." Right. Well, that's what it says. And you'll see my backside because you can't look on my glory. What does it say about Abraham? He appeared to him. It's an interesting concept. Don't you think it's an interesting I don't know. Just something I happen to notice. He proceeded from there to the mountain on the east side of Beth, east of Bethel. You need to know Bethel. Bethel will come back to haunt you. Okay? Bethel is the border city when the kingdom is divided. Kingdom being Israel. Alright? Bethel is the border city. All right, so you see where he's at. Okay, you know how, how it's divided, right? You have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom are 11 tribes, they call it. Truth of the matter is it's 10 because Benjamin is a really small tribe and you have Judah. And that's the southern tribe. And their northern part is Bethel. The, southern, or the northern kingdom's southern border is Bethel. And you will see a guy named Elijah cruises around Bethel a lot. Okay, and then he has his protege, which would be Elisha. Guess where he hangs out? Bethel. 
Okay, so pay attention to these. We we just read them and we kind of cruise along. There's a reason these are given. All right. So anyway, let's cruise on here. Now, south of Bethel. Okay, I wish I had a PowerPoint presentation. I could show you these pictures. If you take Israel, all right, or Canaan. All right, you're going to see that there's a great rise in the middle of it. You have the plains, okay? That's where um, the Philistines hang out. Actually, every military movement runs up and down the coast. They'll run up and down the plains. That's why um, uh, the tribe of Dan didn't want to live there. That's why they moved and, and they were disobedient to God. It's literally why God disavowed them. But you have a rise in the center. That is uh, a, 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 a high mountains. Jerusalem is almost as high as Denver. Okay, And then it goes down into what is called the Jordan Rift, which would be on the east side. The Jordan Rift comes out of the Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is the lowest place on the planet Earth that's above ground. I mean, uh, not underwater. Okay, So when you hear Jesus say he went up from Jericho to Jerusalem, dude, that is up. Okay, Jericho is about 2,100 feet below sea level, up to about 4,000 feet above sea level. You're going up, all right? Then you have south of Jerusalem, if you run the ridge that comes straight down, you're going to have the plains that come through there. You're going to see the place where um, Samson fought the Philistines. Remember he takes the, the gate? Off the, and hangs it up on a wall and sets it on fire. There's a big old plateau that comes up out of Gaza and it's a big old, it lays on the ridge that feeds up to Jerusalem. And if you lit a, a gate up there, everybody's going to see it. Then it drops off into what is called the wilderness. And let me tell you something. I have walked on that place. That is, wilderness is the greatest understatement I've ever seen. There ain't even bushes growing. It grows dirt and rocks. Okay, if you come off of that ridge, go toward the Mediterranean side, you are in the Negev. Okay, and it is lush. It is lush. Why? Because it gets the moisture, comes in off of the Mediterranean, and it rains there, and it pours, and it is very irrigated, it's very lush, and then it won't go over the hill. And over the hill is the wilderness, and that is the Dead Sea and uh, the Masada, and, and, and it goes over to the uh, to where is Jordan to the, the, the what they call the plateau of the Edomites, and that is that is desert. Now I've been through the Mojave Desert. The Mojave Desert has cactus and things growing. The wilderness ain't got nothing. I mean, there ain't nothing growing at it. It is it is dirt. And they say, well, it's really nice. It's in the spring. Because when I was there, it was, it was like March. And I was like, this is nice. Well, it isn't hot. Well, okay, but it's, I, okay. So when you look at this, the Negev is on the south side of Judah. Okay. But it's on the lush side of this ridge that would be, um, that feeds the line. It goes up. Mount Carmel, it comes across and puts a hook, and there's a valley in that hook that is called Megiddo. 
And then it drops straight down and you have Jerusalem and it drops down. And on that side, if you go on the east side of it, it is the wilderness. If you go on the east, uh, on the west side of it, it is the Negev. And, and they, grow, they have tree farms. That's one of Israel's big things is to grow trees. They don't have any trees. Uh, okay. That's what you're getting here. All right. So the, <clears throat> here's what happened. Abraham journeyed on. He left Bethel, continued toward the Negev. Okay? He's hanging out in the lush part. Smart man. Okay? Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt. Now, wait a minute. I thought God said, I want you to go to Canaan. But he didn't. All right. So there was a famine in the land. And he went down. He sojourned there uh, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came <clears throat> about that when he came near to Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. Stop right there. It's nice to know that the father of faith picked up nice women. Isn't that good? Anyway, I don't know what the biblical precedence is for that, but I think that's a good idea. You're a beautiful woman, and it will come about when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Okay, now I don't know if that implies that Abraham was ugly and Sarah was pretty or what was going on there. Uh, but do you see the man's motive here? Okay, as long as you see his motive. Please say that you are my sister. Truth of the matter is, guess what? She was. Okay? I mean, I, you know, I hate to say it, but truth of the matter is, we're, we're talking eight generations out of the flood. Okay? Anyway. Um, <clears throat> say you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Not like that. That's, that's man's typical working. Uh, I'm going to lift you up. It will go well because of you and I live. <laughs> okay. I love you, beautiful woman. Please cover my butt. I mean, ain't that what it is? Ain't that how guys do it now? I'm thinking. Sometimes everybody, oh, do it that way. All right, well, it is. That's how we do it. All right, and it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Now, that's typical. The Egyptians think she's very beautiful. Abram says, you know what, I'm married to her. She is just beautiful. Okay, and dudes, make a note there. There's a deep purpose here that you need to pay attention to that one right there. Okay, if the foreigner thinks your wife is very beautiful, you had better too. <laughs> Why? Remember, it will go well with me. <laughs> That's what he said right there. You see right there. It may go well with me. All right. <clears throat> Did you ever think that Sarah's. Her name ain't Sarah at this time. Sarai. It was counted as righteousness to her in Galatians. You know why? Because she lied when her husband said, told her to lie. Interesting concept, don't you think? Why? Go back to what I was showing you. 
Okay, what did I show you? The revealing of God, sin and disobedience, faith and obedience, Savior, sacrifice, coming kingdom and glory. That's an amazing statement. It went well. Okay, here's the problem. How strong is the boy's faith? First test. Leave all your relatives. I'm going to make you a great nation. Lot, what are you doing? Come on. Okay. Second test. Stay in Canaan. There's a famine. Let's cruise on down to Egypt. Okay. Um, I don't want them to kill me because, you know, God's made promises. So tell them that you are my sister. Two tests of his faith. How'd he do? Okay, now I want you to understand something. This is the call of Abraham. This is the beginning of the call. God has said, Abram, I'm going to do this for you. And he's, okay, fine, let me help you out here. Okay, so when it comes to the point where Sarai says, take my handmaiden, because we ain't got no kids, it ain't quantum physics for Abram to say, okay. Right? All right, here's what it says. Pharaoh's official saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Verse 16, Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake. Okay? Hmm. And gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. I don't know how that works in that order. And, but anyway, here's what happened. But Yahweh struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. You know what the implication is, right? A half-truth is still a lie. All right? Um, they're not stated what these plagues were. Um, perhaps they were something to just keep Pharaoh from defiling Sarai. Because as far as Pharaoh was concerned, who is Sarai? His sister. Okay, now I, I've seen a lot of quantum physics on this and that he was having, Pharaoh was having relations with Abraham's wife and da 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 and all the rest of it. Not in the text. Okay? But I do know this. God came down on Pharaoh's house. Okay? Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? That's funny, don't you think? He's the one with the woman. What would you do this, dude? See, guys just can't win in this scenario. Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. So then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. Okay? So there was a possibility. Well, there ain't no possibility. She was good looking and um, Pharaoh wanted her as a wife. Okay, you can't prove by the text that it happened. All right? So you see God's call, and as soon as God called, then God's providence is in motion. You see it? 
God's taking care of everything. Let's cruise on here. So Abram went up from Egypt. Okay, now let me tell you something. Everything going into Israel from Sinai is up. Right? So here's what he says. Abram went up Egypt to the Negev and him and his wife and all that belonged to him uh, and Lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Uh, Yeah, um, Pharaoh gave him a lot of good stuff. Um, Very rich in livestock, silver and gold. He went up on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel. Now, he's back up at that borderline place again to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Okay, you'll know I. There was a great battle at I, and the Jews were slaughtered, uh, and a man was uh, found to have a bar of gold. Anyway, here we go. To a place where the altar which he had made there formerly, and Abram called on the name of Yahweh. Okay, so he went back. He got back up to where he was supposed to be. Had gone through some stuff and said, "Uh oh, all right, fine, all right." Now you're looking at how God separates. Now remember, he was supposed to leave the land of his relatives. He didn't do it. Okay? So God says, let me help you out with that. All right? Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Okay, stop right there. All right. That is the disobedience. That's the disobedience of Abram. Okay, they're having a problem. Now, you know, you'd say, well, if I've got all this work and all these slaves and all of this livestock and all the rest of it, get over it, people. But that ain't the way God does it. Look what God does. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's uh, and, now the, <clears throat> and, and herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, nor for we are brothers. Okay, now Abraham, you see where he got that, right? He got that from his father, all right? It was passed down, all right? Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the valleys of the Jordan. Now the Jordan is a trip. Because I, I, I always thought about Israel as this big desert place. You get on the north end of the Jordan, you know they grow oranges and bananas and huge orchards. And you just sit there and go, well, I was supposed to be in Florida. Okay, have you ever heard of blood oranges? You know where they come from? Israel. And it's just lush. So they're up on the Negev. You got this side here. Now that bottom part is nasty. Don't kid yourself. Down toward the Dead Sea. But you start back up the Jordan 
and it flows and it's irrigated and it you can just literally stand on the edge of the Negev and of the wilderness and you can see the Jordan because it's this great big patch of green that goes all the way up to the Galilee. And I I mean I just look at it and go, Whoa, you know, that's that's a cool place up to there. And if you if you've been in Colorado long enough, where the cottonwoods are uh, that's where the water is, okay? And then you got this all nice brown stuff everywhere else. Well, that's the way it is, except it's a, a, a more stark contrast in Israel. In, in Israel, it is dirt and the Jordan Rift. <laughs> and then you just sit there and go, whoa. Okay. So Lot, he looks, and which one does he want? Yeah. He lifted his eyes. He saw the valley of the Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. True. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt. As you go to Zor. Got it? A lot of people believe that at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Is Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. And it makes sense to me. I mean, um, the Dead Sea is very much similar to what you and I know as the Great Salt Lake. Um, and uh, there ain't nothing grows around there. They say it's drying up, and I'm like, and the problem is what? <laughs> What's the issue with that? Okay. Um, but it's, and it's got that smell about it. I don't that rotting smell I mean it's you know well that smells like you know, I don't care and it stinks and they have mineral baths and stuff that everybody pays big bucks to it's salt <laughs> and, and they have this black tar stuff that is looks like de- it looks like sewage and they said it's very good for your skin and I was like okay <laughs> sure it is and you think I'm stupid <laughs> okay it's like that Louis Gazard says you know what the Yankees think us southerners are fools he says but I never paid money to go to no reptile farm <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know and I, I sat and watched these people that was there and had it all smeared on them and I was just sitting there going you look like a septic tank worker who's not doing it right <laughs> all right it's a nice, beautiful valley. It is. Galilee is a very, the Sea of Galilee is very fresh water, very beautiful. It flows through, and once it gets down, and drops down into uh, that lower level where the Dead Sea is. Uh, the alkali is so high uh, that uh, it becomes dead. It becomes dead. Okay? Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the valley of the Jordan and watered everything. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Canaan, this would be on the Negev side. This would be on um, the ridge, uh, the mountain lines that I call that would be, that Jerusalem would sit on. Um... Abraham settled on the Canaan. That would be that side. It would drop down into the plains. That would take you over into um, 
the Mediterranean, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. We'll stop right there. That's it. All right. God said, leave what your comfort zone is and I'll take you to a place. Abraham said, all right, no problem. Lot, let's go. Hmm. All right. What did it cause them? Strife. Strife. Okay. There was a famine in Canaan. And Abram said, you know what? I will go down here to Egypt and hang out until the famine is gone. What did I get him? Trouble. Trouble. Okay. He had to come back. When he came back, he had grown in wealth, in livestock, and now what? Animosity stirred up. It's typical. Envy, strife. And they separate. God separated them. Now I want you to think about it. Where did Lot go? Lot went to where the cities were. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? There weren't any cities on the coastal line of the Negev. Okay? There will be. There's going to be a whole bunch of them. Gad is going to be over there. Garth is going to be over there. You're going to run into a whole bunch of places. Okay? They'll be there. But they're not there right now. All right? God said, I'm going to do this and you can't help me. All right? Now, Abraham, don't learn that. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this single question. Why are they still fighting over there today? Okay? That's the thing you and I have to pay attention to here with Abraham. Okay? Abram. God makes you and I promises, guarantees. You can't speed them up. You can't slow them down. And anytime you try to, you're going to cause problems. It's that simple. Okay? But he is so loving, so merciful, so faithful, he will grow your faith and your trust in him through every step of the way. And that's cool. And we'll watch it through Abraham's life to the next, uh, through, through chapter 25. He will grow Abram every step of the way, even to the point that Paul said in Galatians, God believed he would raise him from the dead. And that wasn't just a normal thing that happened on a regular basis. Well, just, you know, don't worry. We'll kill it. God will raise it. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Abraham. And the Father, that those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. And yet, Father, you are so faithful regardless. Thank you, my King, my Savior, my Lord, for the amazing things you do consistently. Father, may we learn from our brother Abraham, understanding that he is eight generations out from the flood, and you sought him out to make him the nation of the redeemed. Thank you, Father. Thank you.
to your glory, to your praise. Amen.